Silverio. And I am Helena Handbasket. And I'm your host and host. And it's time, time to party. party. What's that word? Monorail. 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 Oh my god, we're going back to the monorail song? <laughs> because we were at the music man. No, I know. He's a music Fire. man. He's a what? He's a what? He's a music man. What do you talk? What do you talk? What do you talk? You what know, do you talk, Ben? What movie are we talking about? This month long on Time to Party, we are talking about Donnie Darko, which is like the deepest movie anyone ever sees when they're 14. Yeah. I keep saying that phrase because my colleague at Slash Film, BJ Colangelo, said it in her article. Uh, Donnie Darko, the ending explained. So Yeah, that's I, cool. I was looking name drop there. Right. Like I I went through a number of articles just to refresh my memory on this movie. Cause like having seen it when I was around fourteen the first time. Yeah, I think I was probably fourteen, fifteen when I saw it. Because you and I are almost the same age. Right. Yes. Uh, and like I didn't you're, fully we're, get we're it. all almost the same age, yeah. roughly, yeah, yeah. At this table, not we're, to be we're exclusive. All contemporaries. <laughs> My stars and quite. Yes. Well, let's talk about this this movie. Yes. This so, iconic movie that we watched as teenagers and our dear sweet Ansel watched for the first time for this podcast. Yeah, I was, and it I was six years old when I saw it for the first time. Yeah. This was my suggestion. It was. And I feel great about it. Yeah. <laughs> In case you don't know about Donnie Darko, uh, here is what our good friends at IMDb tell us. Uh, after narrowly escaping a bizarre accident... A troubled teenager is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes. As we've established, this is not a great synopsis. It's really not. It does not encapsulate the entirety of the film. But then again, what is this movie about? Those things do happen. Those things do happen. But there are massive chunks that that leaves out. Yes. Like time travel. There's a shit ton of time travel in this. Yes. Which is why we picked this for Time to Party. Well, and, and also I think, like, I wonder if there's an argument to be made for, like, is is what Frank has Donnie do ultimately almost like on a Batman scale heroic? Oh. Interesting. Everything we learn about the shitty other people in their lives. Right. We learned because Donnie does something illegal. Correct. Like burning down someone's house. Like burning down his house and uh, so they can find the kitty porn dungeon. Um, God, that, yeah. That's a thing I really you, said. Um, yeah, no, but it is that. Like happens. the kitty porn thing. Um, that actually like is a really great segue um, into my first thing of like the time travel and the communication between Frank and Donnie versus mental illness. Mm-hmm. And someone who has, it, it's talked about throughout that he has schizophrenia and, you know, a young man in their teens being diagnosed with schizophrenia, which I, I if I'm doing my research correctly, is a bit early for a schizophrenic personality type to develop. But the predictive nature of his condition versus his conversations with Frank like what is the line between those two things mm-hmm. what is the line between the the visions that he's having because oftentimes he's having those moments in the mirror where he's he's not looking at his own face he's looking at Frank and he's having these conversations with Frank like with the knife and what happened to your eye and all of that 
Um, it just is really interesting to see mental health portrayed in this time travel way, because oftentimes I think it, it gets into this, you know, especially seeing tropes of like women with mental health disorder, it gets into this like very yellow wallpaper gaslighty kind of vein, but it's really interesting to see a young man in his, you know, he's probably like meant to be 16, 17 years old in this struggling with schizophrenia, which is a a hefty diagnosis that thank God has a, it's not easy. And it's something that I think um, is becoming more treatable and becoming less stigmatized. But in that time in the eighties to have a kid with a mental health disorder like this, whose manifestation of it is this, like the, the therapist immediately saying, he, he says, I made a friend today and she goes real or imaginary. Like that. In fact, it, it gives me chills just to even like, uh, cool. Considering <laughs> that Donnie's parents are in a tax bracket that they are, mm-hmm. surprising that they didn't just send him away at right. the time. You know, I wonder yeah. if that's supposed to tell us that this is a new thing. Because I think so. I wonder if Donnie is actually schizophrenic. The pivot turn, as someone who has a personality disorder, and I will say this on the air, the pivot turn for a lot of diagnoses happened in the 90s. It went from multiple personality disorder to DID, which is dissociative identity disorder, as well as, you know, I think it was in the 80s or 90s that homosexuality came off of the diagnostic mental health disorder. Yeah, right. So like there could have been a huge pivot as to when schizophrenia or you know some sort of hallucinatory mental health disorder became part of the the zeitgeist in the way that we know it now because also we're looking at coming out of the AIDS epidemic Mm -hmm. which you know thank god we live in the era we do and there's things like prep and you know all of that but I think that there is a lot of stuff that we don't know about mental health disorder that causes 94, 94. So this film being shot in the 80s, schizophrenia is fresh. That that whole thing is so new. And it's especially, it's so, even now we're in 2022, schizophrenia is so stigmatized as a condition. It was in the DSM-3 in 1980. DSM, sorry, yes. In 1983? 1980. So the DSM-3 was 1980, the DSM-4 was 94. Okay, so we're looking at DSM. Still very fresh. We're looking at DSM three, which I believe was also what characterized homosexuality and probably hysteria. I don't know. Mental health is fucking brand new. It is mm-hmm. brand fucking new. Yeah, I mean the the story takes place in 1988, so who knows how much they really knew at the time. And we hadn't had this evolution in. You know what the well, new actually, is. homosexuality was removed in seventy three. Hey, in DSM-2. how about it? Still, hmm. still stigmatized, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, let everyone correct. Donate blood, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, that whole thing. Um, anyway, I just thought it was a really interesting thing to look at. What is time travel related, and what is Donnie experiencing an episode? Yeah. And that's the question I have is, are we as an audience meant to confuse the two? Like, is his time travel a rep- 
replacement? Like, is he not having a schizophrenic uh, episode? Instead, he's having time travel. Right. Or is he having them as well? Right. That's my yeah. question. That's exactly what I was getting to with your, with what your question was. Is you know, back back in the day when I first saw this, I thought it was both at the same time. Yeah, same. You know, but like revisiting this as as a thirty something, it's like we know a lot more now about schizophrenia and all this stuff, and even time travel, kind of. So that's Richard Kelly kind of brought to the table. Mm-hmm. It, he he mixed them so I don't want to say flawlessly, but like he mixed them up in a really interesting way. In a way that makes, makes you think, it makes, makes you question you it about both things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's no question that Donnie has some diagnosed mental disorders prior to the in prior to the beginning of the film. Like right. he's already going to this psychologist. He's already on medication. The prior experience is present in the storyline. So it's not a question of whether or not he's been diagnosed or right. had episodes in the past, but is this a new manifestation of his existing brain chemistry or... Are we seeing a larger phenomenon yeah. in the community? And that's that's what I'm curious about is like, and I don't think there's a right answer. I think it's meant to be ambiguous. It's also really interesting to pick apart in terms of, you know, a, a mental health diagnosis is not, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Sure. It's something that does impact the, all of the relationships around that person. And are we seeing a very tight knit community that is witnessing a young man who is experiencing mental health disorder on a profound level and we're seeing the impact and the ramifications of acceptance of mental health disorder, or are we looking at something that is affecting a larger community on a grander scale that that truly encompasses and encapsulates everybody? And Donnie is a catalyst and a and a factor into that equation rather than the nucleus mm-hmm. of that conversation. Uh, if that makes sense, I think it has to be the former. And the reason I say that is because this community it doesn't talk about anything. Correct, yes. and that is white middle America. Yeah. I mean, the town that they live in is called Middlesex, Virginia. Correct. So, like, that's foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Right. It's Middlesex, Virginia. So we're also talking about this weird divide, which you know because you you lived on the East Coast. There is a distinct divide from the people who live in Virginia and the people who live in D.C. Because everybody in D.C. says, I live on the East Coast. I live in, you know, that that northern area. Whereas Virginia... There's this fine gradation, this ombre effect that happens of Virginia being classified as a southern state. Right. So there's a lot of conversation around that, too. Arguably, that ombre starts in Delaware. Uh, fucking greed. (laughs) (laughs) Delaware, though, I think Delaware's got a different flavor of it. Sure. I mean, it's Maryland, too. It's got the little brother flavor of it. Yeah. Of the, like, I'm not going to be like my family. Yeah. True. But then you're kind of We like, were separated by Maryland, but we would have been, maybe... Well, it's just really interesting to see, like, even Maryland, like, the pocket, like, Baltimore is, like, yeah, incredibly progressive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like 100%. I mean, Correct. We're in one right now. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Like, if I Chicago mean, wasn't what it was, good God, what would Illinois be? Yeah. My stars. I mean, in Pennsylvania, you have Philadelphia and you have Pittsburgh. Correct. And everything else in the middle is the wild west Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's why places like ohio are such a problem because Mm -hmm. ohio has none of those things (laughs) (laughs) oh my god 
wow. I, I just talked about my first note. So why don't you talk about your first note? Oh my God. No, you don't want to see my first note. Because Is it going to make me cry? Just it, read it. Read it verbatim. Let's see if we can decode this. Jesus God. Suck a fuck. How exactly does one suck a fuck? I don't know. You're bitching, but you're not a bitch. You're bitching, but you're not a bitch. So your first two notes your son are, just called me a bitch. I just love the reaction of the parents because, like, not a big fan of the dad, huge fan of the mom. Sure. But that moment where she comes in and goes, your son just called me a bitch. And he goes, you're not a bitch. You're bitching, but you're not a bitch. Um, The quips between these family members are profound, even to the point where Samantha Darko gets in on the action. When can I squeeze one out? Jesus God, that dinner table. Are you kidding? Oh what God. a great scene. Wow, that that whole, I think, honestly. How long do you think it took them to shoot that scene? Oh, man. It the was either. Was Maggie and Jake alone probably took up a large bar, part of it. Either one take or okay. 12 takes. The whole day. <laughs> That's, I think you're right. I think yeah. It was, yeah. That was either the first take or the, the 50th. Yeah. Correct. But, and I don't, uh, this is, this is not shading or flexing in any capacity. I don't know if you understand the level of difficulty that goes into doing a take in and of itself, but a take where you have to reset for continuity purposes, food. food. Yeah. That will I, take an entire day. I don't know why we let food on film sets. Just should not be allowed. Listen, I am such Opaque a cups. Great. Empty forks. That's what you get. Yep. But my I'm first so real note, where have I seen this house before? Mm. In reference to the Darko house and the Jim Cunningham house. Okay. So the Darko oh house. Oh my God, wait, Ben, what an observation. Go on. So the Darko house uh, was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ben. It was the Bueller house. I swear to you, I have driven past that house. Where yeah. is it? Do you know where it's it is? Corner. Oh, it's in California. It's not here? No, it's not. I thought it was an Illinois house. Yeah. yeah. I would like to talk about Charita Chen. I also have a note that just says Charita. Yes, because like what is she in on the time travel? Character. Like Actually. is she in on it? Well, so that was something that, that that I really gravitated towards during this viewing because I never really acknowledged it before, but it seems like upon the most recent viewing that she's a much more important character than people realize. So can I tell you a story about this particular film in the first couple times I saw it? Okay. Um, so can I, can I make a quick observation? Yes, please. You? Absolutely do. Because when you talked about Charita hearing things she wasn't supposed to hear, I wonder if Charita is our viewpoint character. She is. So go on. Hands down. She's our viewpoint character that we see in a handful of scenes, which is fascinating. Oh, she notices things that only we as the audience see, right? So she sees things that we're not supposed to see. When I was a teen, I watched this movie with, I'm pretty sure I'm getting this story right, but I watched it with my friend Miriam, who was one of my ice skating friends. We would skate competitively together. And you say I'm the interesting one. (laughs) I skated competitively for years. And, um, we watched this movie together and I distinctly remember she said, watch Charita. She sees everything that is happening and she's not supposed to see what she is seeing. 
and it is shocking and it is jarring and it is one of those things where like she suffers the most abuse of any character easily easily the like the level of um xenophobia and racism that she experiences as a character is so profound and go back to china bitch go back to china bitch get off the stage charita all of that stuff really 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 fucked up shit also, I'm just remembering that um, Seth Rogen was in this film. Yes, he was. I just had that, that moment where he was note. he was one of the bullies. Um, yeah, the take a drink for every time you remember an, an all-star celebrity that is suddenly in your mind's eye. Um, but I do think that she is, I think she is a catalyst for the audience. I think, you know, if I were to, I haven't, I haven't watched the director's cut in years, but if I were to go through that, I'd be like, Charita is the lens through which we should all be She's examining. She calls our attention to every key piece of Right. Life. The earmuff when she's listening in on the time travel stuff, the stuff where she like sees Karen breaking down, you know, there's a lot of stuff she picks up on that like other characters don't. And it's that cringe moment where you're like, I wasn't supposed to know this, but like it is so beautifully integrated into the story. It's astounding. Right. I really love that factor about her. I would love Trita. Yes. When, uh, in my version of the DVD, it includes the philosophy of time travel by Roberta Sparrow. Oh, oh my God. God. Look at it. Grandma as, death. Yes. As like a, a special feature. And I started looking at it and I'm just like, is Trita one of these people that, the, that, that one of Roberta talks about? In the book, like the Watchers, right? Like, right. is that so, the is that the word that she uses? The Watchers. Uh, there is the Living Receiver, which is Donnie, I believe. Yo, yeah. Uh, is the, this in the movie? Yes, he talks about this a little bit well, like, with his teacher, who's like, "I'm gonna have to stop stop oh, talking right, about right, this yes. stuff." Which also put a pin in that because I don't know why the teacher cut him off from that. It's a Catholic school. Why would you not be allowed to talk about time travel? Well, the way that Roberta Sparrow talks about time travel seems to be very... Anti-God? Not maybe not anti-God, but questioning God. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that by questioning God, he could lose yeah. his job, you know? Mm-hmm. Or at least embracing of the supernatural that is not of God. Yes. So we have the living receiver, uh, the manipulated living, uh, the manipulated dead... And then there are other uh, instances in here. And I feel like Charita doesn't get talked about enough, but I feel like she's like the primary manipulated living. Yes, I agree with that. You know, because she sees things that not only is she not supposed to see, but like I don't think under circumstances where she was consensual that she would opt to see. And and the difference between Charita. And say Jim Cunningham is that Cunningham didn't know that he was being manipulated, but Charita seemed like she knew what was going on. She knew what was going on, and I don't think she knew how to stop it. And she kept trying. Yeah. So hard. And then her classmates just kept being racist and shit and telling her to go away. Well, also, I even as, as insofar as the talent show where she does this solo act of like Winter Angel, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, which this talent show is happening in the dead of spring summer like it's warm out and she's doing winter angel and very shortly afterwards she perceives she picks up on another signal from the universe and she's still in that white angel thing i do think she's a manipulative 
or manipulated living. Yeah. Yeah, Like you were saying. Yeah. You know, Donnie Darko is such a wormhole that you could fall down. Literally. Because like, because they come out of your chest. Yes, exactly. Slinky. Because when you're 14 and watching those movies the first time, you're not doing anything but speculating. Correct. You know? Correct. And I mean, even as an adult, Ansel, I want to turn it over to you. Like, we watched this when we were 14, 15, 16 years old. What did it feel like watching it as someone in their 30s? What did you feel in that? I, I think the, the thing about watching it as an adult is that I immediately saw that Donnie wasn't the person to watch. And mm. I feel like if you watched it as a kid or as a younger person, Donnie feels like your, your window in. Right. Until you see like Charita or somebody else who's like got that better window. I spent the whole time trying to figure out which adult was going to help him. And it wasn't until we saw Grandma Death and I'm like, she's the one with the answers and we're never going to get him out of her. And we got one line out of her in the whole film. And that line gave us exactly what we needed to know. We just didn't understand it until later. Right. Correct. So good. Talking about this movie gives me chills. Yeah. Every time. It's so well put together. It is. Um, And also, I I think that, I don't know, the thing that really struck me, and I don't know if this is what struck you guys, and we're jumping ahead to say this. No, 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 go off. The importance of his choice at the end Mm -hmm. is what really, like, the whole movie was sort of like happening to me, and I was like, you know, enjoying it and watching it. Sure, like a spectator. It was fun. Uh, it wasn't until I, like, we see the moment where he gets to choose mm-hmm. that it was like, this is why this movie is important. Correct. Correct. So that brings up a really interesting part about this discussion because here on Time to Party, we do tend to venture into the time travel mechanics. Right, that's yeah. the whole point. Of the movie. Mm-hmm. And Donnie's choice is just as much ingrained in the time travel mechanic as anything else that happens in this movie, right? This is straight up some closing doors shit. Did you ever see closing doors? I don't, no. You haven't seen closing doors? Can I be a guest again? You haven't <laughs> seen closing doors with Gwen- Gwyneth Paltrow? Yes, you can. Um, Are you serious? You guys haven't seen this? Seen this. So this is very much the like choose your own adventure trope. Okay. Of is it closing doors? It's closing doors. I'm pretty sure it's like a. It, it was in the mid '80s. I want to say. Um, and it was an earlier Gwyneth Paltrow film, but it was all of the choices that this person makes affect their life. And it is that choose your own adventure of like, at this moment, did you take the right time? Sliding doors. Thank you. Thank you. Ah. Jesus Christ. It was okay. It was earlier. It was later than I thought, but sliding doors, um, where like you miss your train, you don't miss your train. How does that impact your life with who you meet? So I I think that it's very much in that realm. They kind of go into that in about time, Mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite favorite time travel movies that we mm-hmm. haven't gotten to talk about yet. Uh, you know, uh, Donald Gleason and uh, Bill Nighy uh, are in a family whose, whose male members can travel through time. Whoa. And they tend to use it to make their family's lives better. Mm-hmm. And when Donald Gleason discovers this power, you know, he goes back and tries to do everything right with the girl of his dreams, who is Rachel McAdams. Um, also, Bedazzled is on my list. Bedazzled is great. but Also Tam Travel related. Bedazzled does not hold up the way you think it does. 
It does. It absolutely <laughs> fucking does not. No, it doesn't. We watched it the other day and we were like, oh no. Yeah. But yes, that your choices do impact. Exactly. They they do. And the the whole thing about time travel and Donnie Darko is that they're stuck in a time loop where the the end of the movie is at the beginning in a different way. Correct. It's almost Tarantino-esque, but not as bro mm-hmm. This is the emo Tarantino. Well, it's just... Richard Kelly. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what he should become. Wow. Well, it's just this whole dark thing where you like realize uh-huh. this darko, dark thing, um, about the flight mm-hmm. that the fam- that yeah. the sister and the mom are on and realizing as soon as you see the whoosh moment, you're like, oh, fuck. That's the engine. Yep. And like, what happens if Donnie chooses to be saved from that versus what happens when he chooses to yeah. die from that? It's like the much darker side to uh, to George Bailey. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that movie... Or even Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah, yeah very exactly. much that. Yeah. You know? And these are, these are things that have been happening in literature forever. Yeah. So, so to get this update in 2001, you know, with emo Jake Gyllenhaal. Ugh, God bless. It's such, uh, it, it's like Shrek says. It's got layers. It's got layers. It's got layers. Parfaits. Parfaits have got layers. Right. So Donnie is taking a similar approach to George Bailey in that they're thinking about what life would be like without them. Yeah, yeah. correct. And, you know, George gets the option of doing it again, whereas... Right. Without Donnie, uh, his mother and sister don't die. His girlfriend doesn't die. But Jim Cunningham isn't outed as a sexual predator. Right, yeah. Like, what do these paths look like? Exactly. We're not seeing the full scope. So for Donnie to choose death, it seems like he's choosing the path that does more good than bad. Correct. Yeah, he's weighing his options. Because ultimately, as humans, like, we're not no one is a, a good or an evil. We're all sitting in neutral and we have good aspects and, and evil aspects of ourselves. Right. And that's exactly what that is. We start off at the top of the time loop, uh-huh. right? And then we circle back and we realize that we are part of this time loop. Mm-hmm. We are seeing both trajectories of like, we see the trajectory of what happens when he chooses to not die or to, you know, or is in a situation where he doesn't die due right. to the, due to the circumstances. But also, would his mom and sister have died regardless? Well, because the jet engine falls regardless. We see it fall once at the top where he doesn't die and everybody's like, it fell in your room. And she's Samantha's blaming Donnie for that. Or we see at the bottom where everybody is mourning the loss of Donnie. The jet engine falls either way. Mm -hmm. Does that kill both the mom and the sister? We don't know. Well, I think it must not because we see them mourning Donnie. Also, there's a but sequel like, called S. Darko that no one should watch. Oh, no. I haven't seen it. Oh, no. I don't want to see it. S. Darko as in Samantha Darko. As in Samantha Darko. Got it. As in she starts exhibiting uh, similar uh, symptoms as Donnie. Which I, I don't I don't think is um, uh, shoehorning anything in because Sam is the only one to walk in on Donnie. True. In the midst of his having an episode and about to take his pills. And he goes, yeah. I'm just taking my pills, Sam. That whole moment. That's a good point. She is seeing the decline of her brother's mental health. Right. 
And if it runs in the family, it runs in the family. And that's like pretty undeniable in that, in that situation, in that time, this whole film is incredibly intentional. Mm -hmm. There's not anything that has been thrown out frivolously. It is all an option for we, us as the audience to consider. We are meant to consider all aspects of what Charita is going through. We are meant to consider all aspects of what happens in the, in the weeds of does Donnie die? Does Donnie live? What happens in the, what are the ramifications thereof? We are meant to see the minutia of, you know, Maggie Gyllenhaal coming in late from a date and wearing what she's wearing. Everything in this film is intentional. Hands down. I really want to talk about the horror movie moments throughout this film because... Right. Frank is a horror monster, for sure. And I'm a big horror fan. I'm someone who evolved into a horror fan. I was a a little bit of a creepy kid. I didn't really glom on to horror until I was probably like 25, 26. You, as my friend who I know pretty well, don't like horror as... As as a genre, it's not something that you tend to gravitate towards. You'll you'll indulge a, a dark fantasy, but if horror it's comedy. horror comedy, yes. John and I are incredibly avid horror fans. We have a Shutter subscription. Nice. Um, I have been in a horror film. I could have another horror film coming up. We'll see. Um, horror is like the genre that I really want to break into because I love it. But I I was finding myself while I was rewatching this film and as a teen who didn't like horror, who liked kind of gothy, like weird avant-garde arty shit, but wasn't fully immersed in the like, I can watch the Scream franchise and not lose my mind, which was incredibly scary to me. The idea of a home invasion, finding out it's someone you know. Um, it's terrifying on purpose, yeah. Oh right. God, so scary. But... Watching this over again, I was the thing that just like it was like a glaring red light for me was that this is actually a horror film in a lot of ways. There's so many horror elements, there's so many jump scares. Like, especially we were talking earlier on the last episode about like the drinking and smoking episode of Donnie standing in the mirror looking at Frank or looking at his own reflection, and he has a knife and he's like hitting the glass, but you can't tell if he's hitting his own eye, and then you find out that Frank has this like horribly bloody eye later um the idea that the climax of the film happens a on halloween bitch tell me that's not horror and then it happens in a cellar at roberta sparrow's house basement cellars notorious for horror stuff someone gets shot someone dies there's that whole there's that whole moment in the cellar where they where she plays the chord of like ding 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 and it's all out of key like it is 1000% horror yeah. at that point point. And, well, and it's all about prophecy and destiny correct right. so we went from this like weird like kind of campy fun you know a, a retake on an 80s film dirt into like oh shit like this dark moment like in the movie theater when they go to see evil dead they go to see evil dead they're the only people in the theater the portal opens and all of a sudden Frank is there with a bloody fucking eyeball talking about, let me show you the way points to Jim Cunningham's house. And is like, this man is the actual horror. This man is into child pornography. Burn it down. Like that level yeah. is like, we're seeing the difference between 
camp horror of a man in a bunny suit with a bloody eye. Very scary. Spooky, spooky. But also we're seeing true monsters in real life of like men who take advantage of children. Like, absolutely. Like when we saw this as kids, we almost had the hot topic gification. If I can call it. That is a great way to like hot topification because we remember sparkle motion we remember frank the bunny Uh but we tend to not remember the horrific aspects of it until we watch it much later correct it's why we have hellraiser t-shirts it's why people are obsessed with you know freddie and jason and the iconography around those monsters but then we're reminded that they are actually monsters they are chucky fuck that guy yeah, I knew you wouldn't like that. I don't like that. Did you watch the new one where Mark... No, Mark, absolutely not. Well, but where Mark Hamill's in the one I who's know, voicing. It's Mark, Mark Hamill. Hamill. I know you do. That's why but I'm asking. This is a terrible thing to talk about publicly, but I am very afraid of Chucky. No, don't be... Don't... And it's like, okay. That's okay. As a kid, I had a lot of toys. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, the movie Small Soldiers was, like, oh, yeah. the very middle oh, yeah. point of that of toys coming to life and kicking your ass. Yeah, yeah. And it was also in the vein of like Toy Story, which was very fun. Because I love Toy Story. Right. I tolerate small soldiers. I hate Chucky. Yeah, no, that's the full spectrum of that. I love Jennifer Tilly. Jennifer Tilly is a fucking saint. What a babe. What a babe. Still. Still. Hands down. To this day. Hands down. Jennifer Tilly, any age can get it. Just say it. I love that. Yes. I just think it's really interesting that we stumbled upon, or, you know, I deeply vehemently stamp my feet about wanting to do Donnie Darko as a time travel movie that, yes, has massive amounts of time travel aspects because, like, we're literally watching Evil Dead and a portal to time opens up, but also has horror aspects into it because, like, horror is something I'm so passionate about. And ultimately, as an actor, I would hope that I make more horror movies than anything else, you know? Like, love a rom. I've done two rom-coms. They're delightful. I love a rom-com, but I'm hoping to do more horror because I love horror. It's really fun. Volcano list does. Why not both? I can do both. You can do both. I've got range. Get, get to a friend who can do both. Correct. Correct. They can do both. Um, can confirm. So I just really wanted to like touch upon the fact that there are horror, mo- horror movie moments throughout this. Like e- Even like icon level like monster. Like We see Frank... There's that moment where, well, like... Frank is absolutely an icon level. Monster. And scary, right? Like, yeah. very scary. There's that moment where we go from Jake Gyllenhaal with a knife, and it cuts and cuts back, and we see Frank, who is not a fucking Playboy bunny, is not a mascot bunny, is a scary fucking bunny with a skull face. Yeah. Like, and it happens so fast. And there is... No way that Frank the Bunny and Frank the Dude in a Bunny Suit are the same person. Correct. Like Frank the Bunny is a whole other monster. It's an extrapolation yeah. of this kid's mindset. But we don't meet Frank until Gretchen dies. I just had a realization. You know what that means? What? He's been through this time loop before. Correct. You know. He knows this time loop. When we talk And about... he's trying different variants on it. Fuck, that just hit me. Wow. <laughs> Let's when, all take. Let's all. Talk, t- let's all pause and take a drink on that one. Take a drink when it hits you. When we talked about Palm Springs, we talked about the grandma. God love that movie. Through the time loop multiple yeah, yeah, yeah. times, and in Donnie Darko, 
Frank the bunny is the grandma. I have two more thoughts, actually. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. So yeah, I yeah. just want to touch upon the fact that, I mean, we talked about the Hall family affair, which uh, Maggie and Jake should do more films together. They, as far as I know, canonically or, or, or resu- resumeically, they've only done a handful, but I just want to see them in more things sure. because their back and forth is so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see them acknowledged as... as- well, they yes. did in Dying Taco. Like that, in, well, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, more of that as like, as, as adults. Yeah. In, in uh, Brokeback, I don't think they were. No, 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 no. No, no, They were very distant, but it was very much I'm like. Sky. Yeah. I don't they were. Yeah. Just too bad because that movie. I love that movie. I also just this isn't. We don't have to extrapolate on this, but I really need to talk about the fact that Donnie has this baby voice every time he goes into his episodes with his psychiatrist. Hungry, hungry hippos. I'm like, holy shit like especially it gets really creepy when he does his weird jerk off thing where he's putting his hand down his pants and i'm like and the therapist is like but and also chime in if you have anything to say about that i just thought it was really fucking weird but like i get it there's like an infantilizing thing that comes up when he goes into these states of like i think i think it's a safety mechanism yeah the first time he does it i thought he was fucking with the psychiatrist I thought so too. And then it keeps happening. Yes. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is what happens when he goes into these states. Right. This is a coping mechanism. This is a safe space. This yes. is his, like, you know, his fort mm-hmm. as a kid who is going through extreme mental health disorder. Right. Um, uh, go on. There is, there was one other note that I forgot to bring up. Um, and it's a very short note. Um, when Donnie says, I don't want to die alone. I wrote, yeah, I get that, bro. Like, mm. and he talks. About, he talks about the dog going under the under the porch to yeah. die. Callie, Callie, yeah. the dog. So here's the reason why I love Donnie's mom, and I don't think that my mom's ever gonna listen to this. So this is why I'm gonna say this out loud. Donnie's mom reminds me a lot of my mom. Um, I love my mom profoundly. It has taken a very long time to um get to the place in my life where like i i get this woman and i understand her and i'm also like i am i am in the age of where she was when she had me and my brother right like there's a certain level of understanding when you hit that age so hearing her talk watching that the fact that her her way of handling grief at the end of the movie she's not like you see the dad weeping you see samantha weeping you see maggie gyllenhaal just like beside herself solo having this epically grievous tearful moment and you see the mom leaning up against a tree having a cigarette and she has enough capacity to look at Gretchen who she has no idea at this point who this person is and she can just wave and smile at this girl reminds me a lot of my mom and reminds me a lot of how my mom handles trauma and how I was kind of taught to handle trauma of like, ultimately I think that that this woman didn't want to have kids and has kids and is treating her kids like adults because that's what you do with that. Sure. You know? So I think that maybe there's a product of like this infantilizing moment that Donnie has where like he had to grow up really fast. So maybe beyond like, a child abuse moment, which I think might be a little bit of a reach given contextually, like we're given a lot of clues 
So I don't think that maybe necessarily it's there's an abuse moment, but I do think that there's a level of Donnie, you're the middle child and there is another kid who is like in early middle school and you got to keep your shit together. And I understand that. I understand that. There's also a theory that at the end, uh, the residual whatever from the previous timeline remained with Gretchen and Mrs. Darko. Which is where where that like... I know you. Exactly. The weird I know you wave comes I mean, from. Well, you I know? wonder if they all have sure. some level of... Yeah. I think the the father, Samantha, and Maggie... I, I can't remember Maggie, Maggie's name, but I'm going to say Maggie because it's Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. They don't have that response. But we see Gretchen. We see the mom particularly. Yeah. I think the mom is an incredible character. She's an overlooked character. She's an unsung hero of this right. whole thing. We see these people who are profoundly affected by this tragedy who know what that tragedy felt like. She was right to doubt Sparkle Motion. I mean, listen, I'm doubting your commitment to Sparkle Motion. I do have one last thought. Go for it. This is a quote because it's um, towards the end, and it's Dr. Thurman, the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. who said, who has this beautiful monologue. She, and she, like, what a babe. What a babe. Are you Sorry. Talking, is that Thurman? That's a Thurman. Okay. No, Thurman, not Thurman, but I saw what you were doing and I love that I knew what you were doing. Um, But she has this line where she says, if this world were to end, there would be nothing but you and him and nothing else. And ultimately, this movie boils down to Donnie's perception of this thing that is actually him. So ultimately, we're going back to what you were saying about Kelly wanting to go under the porch and die alone because Roberta says every living creature dies alone. Yes. And even if we're surrounded by friends, family, loved ones, that's ultimately where we land. So like, I think, you know, if I'm picking apart this thing and not referring to any of the directorial choices in this, I think ultimately like that's the meat of this is like we really have to accept the fact that like at the end of it all in those last several seconds that's where we'll be but there are choices up until that point mm-hmm. there's so many choices up until that point it's tendrils and tendrils of choices up until that point right it's uh and his tendrils of fate were revelatory yes not fatalistic yes they were revelatory for everybody yeah especially charita charita yes. saw so many of those tendrils of fate Where's where's all the Charita merch? Charita's a fucking bad like, bitch, and she does not get what she merch, deserves. Charita should ju- should get just as much. Charita should have worn a cool mask. That's all I'm saying. Amen, fam. I mean, um, all that being said, I know we kind of got into like no, more in depth. Like I know with like this is a fun uh, time travel podcast, but um, I think Donnie Darko is like a pretty f- profound film, and I think it really did define. Uh, a particular gap of people who are our age sure. who went into that mindset. Right. I mean, Ansel, correct me if I'm wrong, but back in the day, a salon, a party like that yeah. involved this kind of deep thinking. Correct. I think so, yeah. I Ansel love a salon. Know because yes. out of all of us, he looks like a time traveler. That, that's true. He's I, a I, time I, lord. Are you kidding? This, this fucking mustache. It's the mustache. It's profound. I'll put it in the uh, show notes. Okay, great. 
<laughs> so, friends, party people. Family. Yes. What's up, fam? What you up, know? fam? Uh, is Donnie Darko worth your time? Hands fucking down because I've watched it so many goddamn times and I still find things to pick apart about it. Absolutely. It's one of those movies that as you grow and you revisit it, you find something new. Like we were saying earlier, like when I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, Jennifer Lawrence cute. <laughs> sure. Uh, I was like, oh, Donnie Darko and yeah. Maggie Gyllenhaal. What am I experiencing emotionally? And then, you know. I want to be a part of Spark Emotion. <laughs> I seriously doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. <laughs> you have to use at least one of those in it. Oh, I'm good. Okay, great. <laughs> we'll do a super cut. Super cut of me being dumb, dumb. Anyway. Um, but then as you get older, you know, you start to see where the adults are coming from, you know? And I mean, kind of where Frank is coming from to a certain point. Right, right. But, like, no matter where you're coming from, Patrick Swayze is a dick in this movie. Oh, I know. Such a, yeah. But Ansel. Yes. Considering you hadn't seen this movie before we made you watch it. Right. Is Donnie Darko worth your time as an older person watching it for the first time? Very, very. Older person. As someone in their (laughs) mid-30s watching this movie. I just have to specify. Yes. As someone who, for the first. I wasn't 14 when I Exactly. You weren't. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely, this movie is worth it. Do you think you would watch it again? I I intend to watch it again. I really love this. Thank you for indulging me. I think it's a really, as an adult, I think it's a really interesting uh, viewpoint on fatalism and Mm. the choices you make when you're young and the reasons that you make them in a way that maybe a young person sees from a different lens Uh right because i'm looking back on donnie darko's age now you know what's really interesting now that you say that this jogged my memory i read a shit ton of camus because not only was i a weirdo french kid but then i ended up being a french major right so i'm very much getting stranger vibes i'm very much getting like i mean i fucking hated kafka but which is really funny because I really enjoyed The Stranger. Hot take from the- I know. I uh, you should have a whole fucking season of me Donnie being Darko an was asshole. Your gateway into Kafka. There. No, but I think it was my gate. It was my gateway into knowing that I didn't fucking care for Kafka, but I sure. did care for Camus because he did care. There was a lot of heart that went into it. There was Camus a lot. Doesn't disassociate from the subject. Right. Exactly. And I think that's the difference for me personally. But hearing what you just said is exactly what jogged my memory about why I love Camus. Anyway. So I have a French degree. (laughs) (laughs) No, who went to theater school and got a French degree? Uh I've got a very expensive piece of paper that I can't pay for. (laughs) Uh, Cool. So, uh, if people want more of your hot takes, Helena, where can they There's go There's so many fucking hot takes, especially so on Twitter, because takes. I think I've been pretty re- fucking ruthless on Twitter lately. I mean, you've been more active on Twitter lately than you have been since I And they're pretty funny. You're pretty funny. I am pretty funny. <laughs> um, I am at only handbasket. 
on Twitter, and I am at the Helena Handbasket on Instagram. I am at BeSilver20 on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Indecisionist on Twitter and the Indecisionist on Instagram. If you want to join in on the conversation, drop more hot takes, talk about Kafka, talk about this bullshit and more in hashtag time to party. That's time, the number two party. Woo-wee! And as always, be excellent to each other. And party on, dude!